Hello everyone, this is Captain Bradley Hargis with the Salvation Army in Fort Smith, Arkansas, and you are listening to the Above the Waves podcast, a show where we aim to inspire listeners through the example of love and service presented by Jesus Christ, the Messiah. This week we're going to be looking at our first cross in our Lenten series, the Cross of Grace. In it, Joseph makes himself known through grace, and we're also going to look at a couple of examples where Jesus also exercises grace. So we have to ask ourselves, well, what's grace? In Exodus 34, verse 6, God describes himself as gracious. Grace is a word, if we're honest, that we're probably really familiar with, maybe too familiar. But taking time to think through the different meanings of this word and how it's used in the Bible will help us better understand what it means for a person like us to be gracious. We're going to look at this through the lives of Joseph and Jesus in this podcast. In English, to be gracious typically means you're kind, you're courteous, or even delightful or even joyful. We hear this word used to describe someone's surprising or kind attitude towards another person, maybe someone in a difficult situation. It might sound like he was so gracious with that rude stranger, that person. Uh, Maybe we're gracious with someone at Walmart who cuts us off or that person in traffic or she shows grace under intense pressure. But someone who is gracious is also an enjoyable person to be around because they bring light and life to others. I mean, would you agree with this? Another common English meaning of gracious or even graciousness is to be forgiving, merciful, or compassionate. It was gracious of her to give you a warning, or the judge's lenient verdict was gracious considering the crime. These Definitions of grace and gracious can be connected with the idea to be gracious is kind of a way of extending kindness or showing delight towards someone who may not be deserving. These two meanings are also connected in Hebrew thought as well. These are really important when we get to scripture. So when God calls himself gracious, what he means is that he sees you as a treasure. He delights in you regardless of your status or your behavior. And in stories like the one we're going to look at today, that's huge. So let's look and see how this plays out in the lives of two men in Scripture. Our story starts off in Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 through 15. I'm going to be reading out of the message paraphrase. It says this, Joseph couldn't hold himself in any longer, keeping up the front before all his attendants. He cries out, leave, clear out everyone, you have to get out of here. So there was no one with Joseph when he identified himself to his brothers. But his sobbing was so violent that the Egyptians couldn't help but hear him. The news was soon reported to everyone, even to Pharaoh's palace. Joseph spoke to his brothers and says, I am Joseph. Is my father really still alive? But his brothers couldn't say a word. They were speechless. They literally could not believe what they were hearing and seeing. Joseph says to his brothers, come closer to me, and they came closer. I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But don't feel badly. Don't blame yourself for selling me. God was behind it all. God sent me here ahead of you to save lives. There has been a famine in the land now for two years. The famine's going to continue another five years. Neither plowing nor harvesting will happen. God sent me ahead of you to pave the way and make sure that there was a remnant in the land to save your lives an amazing act of deliverance. So you see, it wasn't you who sent me here, but God. He set me in place 
as a father to Pharaoh, who put me in charge of his personal affairs and made me ruler over all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and tell him, your son Joseph says, I'm the master of all Egypt. Come as fast as you can and join me here. I'll give you a place to live in Goshen where you'll be close to me, you, your children, your grandchildren, your flocks, your herds, and anything else you can even think of. I'll take care of you there completely. There are still five more years of famine in, in the land. I'll make sure that you're all taken care of, you and everyone you're connected with. You won't want for a thing. Look at me. You can see for yourselves and my brother Benjamin. You can see for himself. He can even say with his own mouth, as I'm telling you all this, tell my father about the high position I hold in Egypt. Tell him everything that you've seen here. But don't take all day. Hurry up and get my father down here now. Then Joseph threw himself around his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck as well. Then they kissed each other, and they all wept over one another. Only then were his brothers finally able to talk to him. It's kind of a wild bit of scripture we see out of Genesis chapter 45. We see in difficult moments and unfortunate circumstances, the life of Joseph shows what can happen if we allow grace to rule over our lives. It transforms us and those around us. Grace is simply revolutionary and it changes our world because it changes us. So what could happen this week if you allowed the grace of God to move through you and affect your family, your work, your habits, your hobbies, your thoughts, and most importantly, your relationship with God? So how did we get here in Genesis 45? Well, Joseph, to be honest, is one interesting character. Joseph eventually becomes second in command in all of Egypt, only under Pharaoh. But we see that his journey getting there was quite interesting because his brothers sold him off to slave traders. I mean, Joseph was a pretty nice guy, right? Well, we can trace this wild story of grace and forgiveness found in Genesis 45 all the way back to a single moment in Genesis 37 verse 3. We all know the scripture, and frankly, we don't like it. It says this, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of the other sons, and he made him richly ornamented because of a robe. And this is where things go sideways. Because it gets worse from here. In the verses that follow this, Joseph multiplied the brother's hatred by telling him his dreams that he had. And that eventually, one day, his parents and all of his brothers would bow down to him. Now, that don't sound really good, especially uh, to the younger brother. I know growing up I was the oldest of four, and let me tell you, I had a rule, and it's that oldest brother uh, definitely controls everything. Um, that nobody can touch my brother except me, uh, nobody can play with him, you know, I have to kind of vet his friends. It very much was that way when we were younger. But we see here, the younger one kind of changes the scheme a little bit. Out of jealousy and hatred, the brothers plot to kill him because they don't like this at all. I mean, he's daddy's favorite after all. But Joseph is eventually thrown into a pit by his brothers and eventually sold into slavery to the Ishmaelites who take Joseph to Egypt. We see later Midianites sell him to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials. Potiphar puts him in charge of the household. Potiphar's wife kind of changes the script a little bit because she really likes Joseph and wants to go to bed with him, but Joseph refuses. 
She is angered by the rejection and claims that Joseph tried to rape her. Once Potiphar is told, Joseph is cast into prison. And then later, while Joseph is in prison, it's revealed that he can interpret dreams. So he does this for two prisoners. One dream, he restores a cupbearer, and the other one is beheaded. The Pharaoh then has dreams, and no one could interpret except Joseph, and he does. And at this point, you're probably thinking, my gosh, this guy cannot catch a break. He literally got sold into slavery, went to Potiphar's house, things did not go well, he ends up in prison, everybody forgets about him. But we see here in Genesis 41, something really cool happens. Joseph is promoted to authority next to Pharaoh at 30 years old. Literally, he's second in command of a nation, literally in his third decade alive. It's pretty cool. The dream Joseph interpreted for Pharaoh uh, was literally about famine, and he literally acts like the savior of Egypt. The famine, we know, not only affected Egypt, but also the surrounding areas. It affected Canaan, where Jacob and his clan struggled to stay alive because of the famine. The only place there is to get food in these days is Egypt. And if you want to survive, you have to go to Egypt. And so that's how the brothers get to Joseph. The brothers then come before Joseph, but interestingly enough, they don't recognize him. Genesis 42 tells us this. It says, When Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. And although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Once the brothers have recognized who Joseph is, well, you can imagine they're in fear that he might take revenge on them because, hey, he's going to remember what we did to him. Genesis 45 says, Joseph says to his brothers, when he reveals himself, I am Joseph, is my father still living? And we're told that his brothers cannot answer him because they are simply terrified. So, to sum all this up, literally summing up almost half the book of Genesis, Joseph goes from being daddy's favorite to slave to household manager to prisoner to a super young ruler of the world's most powerful nation at that time. I mean, that is one crazy resume. So we have to ask ourselves when we look at all this, what is it that Joseph allows to rule his life? Is it a temperament? Is it maybe indifference to his situation? Or is he just trying to please those around him? I don't think so. I think he lives by grace. Because Joseph could have got even. I mean, he had the power to. He could have sold his brothers into slavery like they sold him. He could have enacted revenge on his brothers whenever they bowed in his presence, but he doesn't. He actually saves them instead. Remember that Joseph's brothers hated him. I mean, his brothers deeply and truly hated his guts. They were jealous of him because of the coat of many colors. They didn't have a coat. Joseph did. Jacob loved Joseph more than the other sons. He had the father's love. They had it, but not as much. They really wanted to kill him, so they sold him into slavery. Imagine the family dynamics. What if you had lived out this narrative? In our context, could you face family members that tried to kill you, maybe over the next Thanksgiving meal or Christmas gift exchange? Well, that'd probably be pretty doubtful for most of us. Because Joseph allows grace to rule his life, and he allows God to control his actions. In Genesis 50, verse 19, Joseph says to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? I'm going to read that again. He tells them, Don't be afraid. 
Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Grace transforms and saves lives. And this is still true in our context today. We have to remember this. A question we have to ask ourselves is, do we sometimes put ourselves in the place of God, as Joseph was in Genesis 50? Do we act as that agent of grace and mercy, or do we not do that? But we do have the opportunity to extend grace today. Choice is ours. Grace is lived out by offering compassion to those that don't deserve it. In Genesis 45, verse 4, Joseph says to his brothers, Come close to me. And when they had done so, he finally reveals himself and says, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. You see here that grace is lived out by choosing to offer forgiveness over revenge. This was life-changing for Joseph and his family, and actually for an entire nation too suffering from famine. So what does this have to do with the 2023 Lenten season? I mean, we're supposed to be talking about Jesus, right? Why are we talking about Joseph? It's because in this example, if we let grace be lived out by doing good to those around us, like our family, those we influence, those we work with, or our church family, well, we act a little bit like Jesus in the process. Because in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus goes all throughout Galilee, preaching the good news. It doesn't say that Jesus presented 15 points on how to be a great leader in your denomination or how to con Rome out of their taxes. What it says is that Jesus shared what was attractive to the masses. And that was grace. Also, Jesus was known to be downright forgiving. This means that he did not treat the disciples in the way that they deserved. He forgave and gave grace even when they failed or didn't understand him or fell asleep on him. We have to let grace be spoken by forgiving those around us. We'll call them literally them. And there are a lot of thems out there. Think about the woman caught in adultery. Jesus tells her, neither do I condemn you, so go and sin no more. In Luke 17, Jesus says, If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times a day, well, seven times, we need to say, I repent, forgive him. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, Forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. In Luke 23, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And here, we literally see that Jesus is literally praying for those that are nailing him to the cross. You see, grace is always shared with those that don't deserve it. The leper asked Jesus, if you're willing to make me clean, make me clean. And Jesus says, I am willing. And the honesty is, the leper didn't deserve grace at all, but he received grace and a physical healing. Grace shared is not willing, uh, really, uh, it's not willing on us. It literally is be extended to those that don't deserve it. Grace shared is saying, I am willing to live in harmony with those around me and to live in harmony with maybe those, again, that don't deserve it. So I can't be proud, but I have to associate with people of low position, meaning all people. 
It's like that classic question that the rich young ruler asked. Who's my neighbor? And we see that Jesus basically says, in our language, uh, the person in front of you is your neighbor. So we need to associate with all people and extend grace. So, just to make this very clear, who should we give grace to? Well, let's start with our family, our spouse, or our children. Those are the easy ones. But what about a different list? What about those in addiction? Or those that vote differently than me? Or those that worship a different God? How do we extend grace to them? Do we offer grace to those that wronged us or gossiped about us behind our back? Well, maybe this prayer of closing can help us today. Lord, you work everything according to your goodwill. Although Christ's death seemed like defeat, you vindicated him by raising him from the dead. In him, therefore, we sing, we shall not die, but we shall live. He is our salvation. It is marvelous in our eyes. And because of his work, we can extend love, grace, and mercy to those around us. May I continually be challenged to live out the high calling of grace. And in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, Amen. I hope that you enjoyed a little bit of a different take as we kind of close out really our first week of the Lent season. So we thank you for listening to the Above the Waves podcast. And I'm your host, Captain Bradley Hargis. As always, you can head over to SalvationArmyFS.org and sign up for our email list or visit us on Facebook at Sal Army Fort Smith. Come back and join us next week as we continue our study on the different crosses. As we approach Resurrection Sunday, we'll hope that you'll hang out with us. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next Sunday.